Trusting Jesus, that is all. Very appropriate for what we're going to be looking at tonight. This is something that sort of came out of my quiet time and just sort of developed this as I felt like the Holy Spirit leading. It seemed very appropriate with what the church family is facing right now. And really, when I say that, I say also that there's, there's really never a time that the church family isn't facing some sort of adversity in our life. Uh, sometimes it seems a little bit more intense than others. It kind of causes us to uh, catch our breath a little bit because of how some event happens in our life. But I want to talk tonight about how God shapes us through adversity. How God shapes us through adversity. And, of course, uh, God has used in the Bible other places the idea of the, the potter and the clay. There in the book of Romans, of course, there's the, the challenging um, for us that we need to understand that God has the prerogative in our life. He's sovereign. When we, when we start asking questions, when we start suggesting that, you know, well, why would God do this? Or why would he do it this way? And it, then we're really getting dangerously close if we're not crossing the line of trying to tell God we'd like to make him like we want him to be rather than letting him be as he is. You know, we don't process it that way, but there's really no other way to look at that. He is who he is, and as God, his prerogatives are always right what he chooses to do. But he's not just a big meanie in the sky that is, um, as some uh, heathens pictured their false gods to be, as if they're teasing and, to and toying with humanity, uh, as if they have some uh, bad motives. Uh, God's motives are righteous altogether. He is a God of love that never changes. And there's never a moment when God is loving and he's less loving. He's always completely a God of love. We sometimes in our inability to discern events in life and things that happen uh, know how to say this is a clear demonstration that God is a God of love. We struggle at that. We find that hard to swallow sometimes. But yet, that's where our faith comes in, isn't it? We have to say, you know, God means it for good. God's using this. And such is what we're going through right now with the incident. Um, I try to remind myself to say it that way as an incident rather than an accident because where God's concerned, there really are no accidents. But it is an incident that God, I think, have already seen uh, a lot of good come from this. Uh, seen the, uh, the, the church family pull together in love and concern in a way that definitely exalts the name of God. And that's why we're here, just to exalt the name of God. That's why he's placed us here. But we never know when a crisis will arise. Psalm 31, verse 7 is where we're going to be focusing tonight. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look at it there in context. But let's read it out loud together. In fact, let's, 
Let's do it three times, and each time we'll say the reference at the end of the verse as well. And if you can close your eyes in between uh, towards the goal of maybe hiding this verse in your heart, uh, all the better for you. But uh, let's see if we can sort of embed this, this scripture verse into our hearts tonight. Let's say it together, begin with the first word, and we'll end with the reference. Ready? I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, leave out the brackets, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities. Psalm 31, 7. Again, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities. Psalm 31, 7. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities. Psalm 31, 7. We don't know when a crisis is going to come in our lives. That's really the nature of it being a crisis. It usually is rather unexpected. Some crises are more devastating than others. Uh, I would say what Stephen and Ellen are going through right now is a, a very severe, would rate very highly on the, on the devastation scale of a crisis. Uh, but sometimes we might find it a crisis that we've just driven too far and we realize that we left our wallet or purse back home and that's a mini crisis but still it it brings a certain amount of disruption to our minds and our days when that happens and everything in between and honestly when something of a of a greater magnitude happens then it often helps us to put some of these other ones in a perspective and saying you know how can I even begin to think a thought of complaint with my little trouble over here considering what this person is facing over here and I think that is a healthy way to think but regardless of the degree of distress our attitude and our response should be essentially the same it's not really going to change much based on how devastating the crisis is still fundamentally we must always remember that even when we feel out of control, that's us, in fact, God is never out of control. We feel out of control. We may even say, wow, you know, what is going on? You know, this world's in a tailspin, or my, my day has just been crazy, and things that are, again, I'm referring to out of our control, things that are not necessarily the product of bad choices on our part, but just things that we're sort of the victims of. And yet, God's in control. God is the one in charge at all times. In Psalm 142, verse 3, it says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou knewest my path. Isn't that a comforting thought? Have you ever felt overwhelmed in your spirit? I certainly have. 
There are things that happen, and you're just like, the emotion of it, the, the thoughts of how do I respond to this, what is the right answer, and yet God knows our path. That doesn't just mean that he knows how we got there. He knows how he's going to take us from there, too. The path goes on, and the Lord knows the way that we take. So what can we learn about God shaping us through adversity? What can we learn? And we're going to see just five quick observations tonight that hopefully we can take with us and maybe be a help to us. Number one is adversity provides tighter proximity. Closeness is the idea. There, there is a sense in which our troubles tend to thrust us into a more intimate walk with the Lord. You ever notice that? I mean, you might be very faithful in your quiet time, in your prayer time. You know that you, you have a routine, and that's wonderful. But you notice how that when adversity comes, that immediately the way you pray, the thoughts, the emotions that you have, the way you go to the Bible, the way you talk with other brothers and sisters in Christ, do you notice how the Lord just seems way closer to you? Sort of a felt presence. And I say a felt presence. I recently read a book by uh, an author talking about what's called The Thought of God by Robert Murray. And, and he was dealing with that whole issue of the felt presence of God. And at first that kind of troubled me a little bit. And then I was reminded, well, the Bible teaches that you know, God's presence is always with us. David said, whither shall I go from thy spirit? You know, if I go up in the heavens, if I descend, you know. And the point is, there's nowhere we can go to escape God's presence. He's omnipresent. And yet, doesn't the same psalmist, David, pray, Lord, take not thy spirit from me? Did he think that God's spirit would somehow be vacant around him, that God's omnipresence would have an exception rule for just him. No, I think he's referring to what uh, Robert Murray was talking about, is this felt presence. You know, God's there, but maybe that fellowship isn't there. This happens, I think, with human beings, where you know there is ought between us and someone else, and we could be in the same house with someone, and yet, because there's a brokenness in our communication, there's a brokenness in our thinking, and maybe there's been a, an infraction of, of, of something that we've done to upset the other person. And so there's this distance in communication. They're there, but there's a, a sense that we're missing the felt presence of that person. And yet, when we go through hardships and trials... It seemingly without thinking about it, we have this wonderful sense of God's closeness. Sometimes uh, a person will scoot towards another individual or cling tightly to their companion, maybe a, a wife to her husband, when the circumstances are troubling, such as watching a spine-tingling movie and you know the, the, the music is building or whatever, and 
she scoots closer, you know, or whatever like that. You know, is that snake going to drop from the tree, you know, and it's, you know, and all of a sudden you lose the sense of blood circulation in your arm, okay? Um, and, and, and so what? That, that tenseness, that anxiety, that anguish uh, often thrust us into a, a greater closeness. Distress has a way of drawing people together. There's a, isn't it true that we can sometimes feel like we can, we can live rather independently? We can make it on our own in certain situations. Maybe we become even a little bit more hermits when things are going well. But, you know, then there is this catastrophe. And, and you see how people pull together. So in that way, I believe God designs adversity, plans it, brings it about partly for the purpose of drawing us closer to him and drawing us closer together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Most of us are familiar with the little palm footprints in the sand, and you might even have a copy on your wall at home. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but, you know, there's the idea that, you know, the person is uh, poetically talking to God and, you know, looking at footprints in the sand and, and says, you know, what does this represent? You know, he says, well, you see two pairs and, you know, that's where I, I was walking along with you. And then the person observes, says, but as I look back over my life, you know, I see at times that there was only one set of footprints. When I needed you the most, you left me. God says, no, those are the times I carried you. And it really is true that God does carry us during those times of distress in our life. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. You know, imagine the the trepidation of walking through the Red Sea as the children of Israel, those Hebrews. Walls of water on either side. Yes, they were walking across on dry ground when it, by all logic, you would expect it to be quite muddy, muddy to the point that, and I was thinking about this, we recently had to dredge out our pond in our neighborhood and we pumped all the water out of it. And yet there was, even in my, my rubber boots, I uh, no, no water to be found, and I, I stepped off the sandbar in, into the area, and I went all the way down to my knee and probably would have gone down further, you know, had it not been that I was, you know, grabbing a hold of the sandbar, okay? And I was thinking, that's what should have been true at the bottom of the Red Sea. And I'm like, what a miracle that God in a moment turned it to solid coquina probably, and yet, as they're walking across, and they needed to be able to have that dry ground to be able to bring two million people from one side to the other. But don't you think you'd be a little bit nervous with the water up on this side and water standing on that side like that? You know, especially as you get in the middle, it's like, okay, I'm committed now, you know. But God was with them in the midst of the waters. When it talks in this verse about <coughs> the fires, what, what story in the Bible comes to your mind about God being with you in the fire? 
Yeah, yeah, the three companions of, of Daniel, right? And, and, and even Belshazzar looks into the furnace. There was, you know, a little bit of a window in there so that he could see them moving about and observe there was a fourth like unto the Son of Man. And, and then to have them brought forth and their clothes aren't burned and they don't even smell like smoke. I mean, don't you just love the way God handles situations like that as just a, an amazing testimony of what he can do? God was with them. Now, they confessed, we're not going to bow down to your image. God's able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. They didn't know what God was going to do when they got thrown in there. We might get burned up, we might not get burned up, but we're still not bowing. God was with them. Closer proximity with God is always a considerable plus. What, what could we want more than a sense of the closeness of God in our life? That The old hymn, Nearer my God to Thee, you know? A great reminder to us that if we are walking with the Lord and we have a, a relationship with God, we can't abide not having that closeness with the Lord. But to have that, we must recognize God must regularly bring into our lives some adversity for that to happen. Secondly, adversity leads to a maturity in our lives, spiritual maturity. There is not a week that goes by that I don't run into a person, it seems like, who's, who's going through some type of struggle of adversity. Be small, you know, in, in my thinking, I might be thinking, well, that's, that's not nearly as devastating as some things I've heard, but it's real to them. It's unnerving to them. And often people will ask that question, something like this, why is this testing so hard? I don't think I can hold up much longer underneath it. And adversity by its very definition isn't fun it's not it's not intended to be fun it's not intended to be comfortable and in the heat of the battle you may feel that god is nowhere in sight god is an invisible god to our eyes he is a spirit so therefore he's intangible to our hands and as human beings there's there's something where we sometimes wish God would literally materialize once again, become incarnate in, our, in, in front of us, that we could have a similar experience to the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus where we're right there with Jesus, you know, and not have to wait till we get to heaven to experience that. And the Lord in His wisdom doesn't give us that, does He? And there's no prospect that He will give us that. But does that mean that God's not here? No. We recognize as we mature spiritually in Christ, the Lord is with us and He is working on our behalf, and we see Him through the events. He is real. He is present. When things happen where we realize, I prayed this way, and, and the, only the Lord could have done that. Only the Lord could have brought that back about. A man once related to me the following. Several years ago, I worked in a steel plant. It was there that the principle of how the Lord purifies us in the heat of a trial was demonstrated to me. Every night, the steel was heated to 2,700 degrees and brought to me in a giant pot. My job then was to scrape the slag or the impurities that would float to the top while the steel was melted to a bright red liquid. 
That steel was then shaped into a different sized pipe to be used in different states. That pipe was pure steel and ready for the years of use and tremendous pressure that it would be put to the, uh, that it would be put under in the future. It would not fail its test in use because it had been purified by fire. Wow, what a great analogy that is. And that's what God does through, for us. Every trial we go through, we go through a, a, an injury, we go through a financial uh, stressful moment, we go through an illness, we go through the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, and we, we go to our Bibles and we, and we cry out to the Lord and we pray, we are growing in grace. We are growing in our spiritual maturity. We are taking a step in our faith. Job exemplifies this for us. Job 23.10, in the midst of all of his adversity, he says of God, He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job knew that the adversity he was going through was a refining process. He understood that the loss of his children on earth, not to see him again until he got to heaven, was part of that refining process for him. The loss of material possessions, the loss of the support of his wife, the loss of his health, his well-being, and he looked at it all. And folks, unless we can see that, unless we have the discerning eye to see that, we will collapse we will be on the brink of becoming bitter at God. But if we can say, no, Lord, I understand you're using this to help fashion me. You see, hardships help us to see our proud tendencies. When we get in difficulties, we can see our own pettiness, right? We don't, we don't see it on our good days, but when the world is caving in around us, and we think, wow, I didn't realize how petty I can be. We, we then become aware of our harsh responses to others. It didn't click with us at the time that we responded harshly, maybe. But now all of a sudden, things are brought into a tighter perspective. We might see our preoccupation with vain things. Seeing then that all these things will be dissolved. What manner of persons ought we to be, as the Bible tells us. And on we could go. Really, perspective really changes when adversity intensifies, doesn't it? Hardships have a way of heating up our hearts and help these impurities, these transgressions, these fleshly desires rise up into our minds. And it gains our attention so that it can be extracted as we yield them to the Lord. The Lord does want to purify us, but He has to help us see it. If we don't see it so that we can yield to it, it will remain inside of us as a growing weakness. We will be brittle in the use of the Lord's hand. We will break when the pressures come. You know, the Lord does have great things for all of His children. He has great things for you. That may be why He... He might be heating up an area of your life right now. He's getting rid of the impurities in your life. He's bringing to the surface 
those sins that doth so easily beset us, those weights that we need to cast aside, the Lord brings them to our mind and we're a little bit more ready to see them when we're in the midst of adversity. We need to remain faithful and trust God. That's when we will spiritually mature. Thirdly, adversity is sometimes due to perversity. We can't always presume our own innocence when a problem arises. There are two different channels of adversity, if I could put it that way. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but hopefully you'll understand what I mean. And, and I think 1 Peter 2.20 talks about these two channels. He says, For what glory is it when ye being buffeted for your faults, and by that he means your wrongdoings, not just your imperfections, but things that where you've transgressed, so what glory is it if you're buffeted, you're going through adversity because of your wrongdoings, and you take it patiently, you know? Should you say, praise God, you know, I'm going through this, this trial, but God is good. If in fact you have done something and God is chastening you for it, then that's not the right response to that. However, he goes on to say that there may be a different channel. If ye, when ye do well, suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Oh, so what should I have done when I was being buffeted for my wrongdoing? Well, the answer is quite simple. Confess and repent and forsake. Don't just keep on like, you know, you're this martyr and that you're going through this as if, um, you know, you're Job. You know, and that God's saying, consider my righteous servant. And you know what? The Holy Spirit taps us on our mental shoulder and says, you know, you know, and we do know. The Spirit guides us into that truth. So there is a need on our part to not simply want relief from every discomforting circumstance without first doing some heart searching. Like the disciples when they heard that someone was going to betray Jesus. There is a rightness to say, is it I? Lord, is, is this being brought on because of something that, that I have done? Reveal it to me. And I can tell you without fail, as I've prayed that in my own personal life, and I have meant it, it is almost instantaneous that it will pop into my mind exactly what God's trying to get my attention about. There's been sometimes it was an event that I needed to deal with that I had long buried, long buried, but I still needed to make it right. And we need to realize that that does happen. Now, again, we don't want to be like the disciples and say, oh, why is he going through that adversity? Did he do some great sin or was his parents big sinners? Jesus pointed out, no, sometimes it's for God's glory in that person's life. But from our perspective, the person that's in experiencing the adversity, we would be foolish not to pause and say, Lord, if this is about you disciplining me, then Lord, I, please bring to my mind, bring to my recollection so that I might confess and forsake this. Psalm 25, 18, it says, 
Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my what? Sins. Sometimes we have afflictions because of sin in our life. Nehemiah led the children of Israel back out of captivity to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They did it in a record number of days. He had to report back to the king. And while he was gone, and, and as, as quickly as they were able to build those walls to the glory of God, they fell back into the ways of compromise with Sanballat and Tobiah. And Nehemiah comes back and he has to chasten them. And Nehemiah doesn't just get on their case about it. He has this prayer of confession that involves himself as well. He wasn't even there, but he's part of the group. And so he takes uh, group responsibility along with them. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31, we see part of what he says here. Listen, it says, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them. Talking about the forefathers, not the immediate people there nor forsake them. Because, you know, the children of Israel, this wasn't their first going, go around in for getting away from God's will in their life. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. Verse 32. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepeth covenant mercy. And then he says this. Let not all the trouble seem little before thee that hath come upon us. What trouble is he talking about? Well, it, it's, it's talking about the adversity because they had opened up and compromised to the enemy. And, and so this had been upon them immediately, but they had other troubles as well. And Nehemiah is saying, I recognize the connection that's there. And Lord, we realize it's big when it, when it pricks us, when it's painful. And on our kings and on our princes and on our priests and on our prophets, he goes on, and on our fathers and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day. And then he says in verse 33, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Lord, please be kind and look at what's going on. And yet we take ownership we're not trying to shift the blame at least nehemiah wasn't and he was being a spokesperson for the people what we did was not right what you did is right every time you brought judgment upon the children of israel when you put them in captivity for 70 years in babylon that was right what we did was wrong you know and the sooner we can take ownership of our failings and our problems, and our sins in our life, and grieve over it, and see it as God sees it, the sooner there is hope for us to be restored. Last night as we met, I, I referred to a, a verse talking about praying for people that are ill. And James 5.15 was the, the reference that I was using there. And it says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And we often stop right there. But I read on, and this is the part I want to focus on tonight. And it says, and if he, referring to the infirmed person, the sick person, the injured person, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So what is James saying? We recognize there are times that there are illnesses that come upon people 
because of sin. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about that. Some had been misappropriate, inappropriate with the Lord's table. And Paul's very clear. Some of you are weak and sickly among you because of that. There is a definite correlation. So we would be foolish just to look at any adversity and saying, well, I'm just suffering for Jesus. You know, we might be suffering at the hand of Jesus as he's taking as a good shepherd that rod onto one of his sheep that needs it because we're getting out of the path. We need to get back in the path. If you discern that you're regarding iniquity in your heart, there's one course of action. Confess and forsake it. That's what God wants us to do. Rapidly. Fourthly, adversity causes uncertainty. When you go through hardships, when we go through hardships, it's tempting to gain counsel from the fleshly aspect of our being and from others who are responding out of the flesh. In other words, you know, kind of patting and soothing us. However, during difficult times, it is more so than ever imperative that we do not depart from the Bible, the Word of God, its truth, and what has, it has already taught us. In other words, remember your training at those times of desperation, and you're down and you're licking your wounds, so to speak. Reach back into your mind and your heart at the Word of God that you have hid there, that you might not sin against Him. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. Psalm 119, 153 says, Look on my affliction, David's praying to God, <laughs> and deliver me. Why? For I do not forget your law. As I'm in the midst of this adversity, I am, I am talking truth to myself from your word. I am thinking about what I meditated on as a boy as I was watching and tending sheep. So during the days when things are calm and adversity is not as high, we need to be studying, don't we, folks? We, we need to be treasuring up truth from God's Word. We need to be writing things in our journals that we can later go back and read and hear brought back to our own voice of what the Holy Spirit has taught us because the storms are coming. The devastation will be there. The adversity will happen. And you will need to draw upon all that you have stowed away in your soul at those times. For it will seem like there's a famine. And it is only what you have already put up in store that you'll be able to draw upon. When the darkness comes, what do we need to do? We need to grab for the light that we're already carrying. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where all of a sudden the lights go out? Boom. And, you know, we all have, most of us anyway, you know, smartphones. And almost all of them are equipped with a little flashlight app on them. And I've thought about that. I thought, you know, that has been my rescue sometimes when I've been somewhere. Because I, I didn't even know where to run to get the closest flashlight at that point. So culture's different now, you know, which, you know, it's one of I would say it's a, a blessing in many respects. And yet I thought to myself, isn't that like the Scripture that we always have with us? Isn't the Scripture the light to our path? 
And, and when the darkness comes upon us in moments of desperation, do we have those words that arise up in our minds like emergency lights flashing on because the power went off? That's what we need because there's uncertainty around us. For, fifthly, adversity brings humility, then utility. Humility and then utility. Using Job as an example again, Job saw himself in God's hands as a, as a mound of moldable earth. With God's touch, he could be formed into something that was divinely useful. Job 10.9, he says, Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? In other words, going into dust is the idea of totally unusable, back into the ground. Yes, I'm just a lump of dirt, but the purpose of clay is to be pulled out of the ground, out of the dirt, out of the, the dust, and in the hands of the master, shaped into something useful. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou art potter. Wow, what a great imagery. We're just pretty... And you know what? Sometimes clay is very offensive dirt in the wrong situations. You ever tried to do some digging in your yard and you hit a vein of clay? And now... It is grueling work, you know, and you don't even want to put it back in there when you're done, you know, patching, you know, the trench or whatever. We had to just recently dig a trench in my backyard to lay an electrical line, and I had just injured my back, and my son-in-law was kind enough to, to help me out digging that trench. Well, you know, he, he rented a piece of equipment, but when he hit the clay, that, that equipment was absolutely worthless. And he just had to get in there with his two arms and a shovel and just start digging with that, you know. And yet, as aggravating as clay can be in situations like that, there are some amazingly rare and invaluable things that are sold on auctions that, what are they? They're clay. But because of the hands of the master potter and shaping it, forming it, coloring it, glazing it, firing it with great wisdom and precision has made it a vessel unto honor. But let us never forget that we are at our base nothing but aggravating dirt. Except it be for God's goodness. For clay to be made into something useful, it needs two properties. It needs to be malleable, and it needs to be moldable. It can, be the la it, can't, it, can, it can only be the latter unless it is also the former. And so it is with any disciple of the Lord, any Christian. That's what humility is. We're malleable. Are we, you know, are we soft, supple in our spirit? For the, the Lord to do with us as He wills. Humility means that we're malleable. Sometimes, you know, when, when God would say to the children of Israel, they are a stiff-necked and hard-hearted, He is saying they are not malleable. They were lacking humility. 
But then utility means that you are moldable into something that's a useful form. Are you and I both of those things? Are we soft? Are we malleable in the hands of God? Is your spirit soft and responsive to His divine touch? Does, does He have only to whisper to you what His will is and you are, yes, Lord? Or does He have to constantly rap upon your heart? Does He have to bring events into your life to shake, to quake? If so... We need to take a step closer to being moldable. Romans 8, 29 declares that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Shaped, moldable, into what? Christ. God the Father is looking at His Son and His character and His Spirit. And then He's touching us and He says, Everything that I'm doing, every time I touch you with adversity, everything that's painful, everything that you're grimacing with, I am doing it to help you to end up looking more like Jesus. Be patient, my child. Christ-likeness is the goal. His character is to be the shape of our character. Our character is to be the shape of His character. Lastly, I think of a statement made by Charles Spurgeon that I love. He says, great hearts can only be made through great troubles. Great hearts can only be made through great troubles. So friends, when adversity comes, remember this, that this is one of the key ways God shapes us. May we be yielded to that. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, may we welcome adversity. May we give thanks in everything knowing that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Even our sanctification, being made set apart for special use for you, and that is typically done with adversity. Lord, we do pray for those that are going through adversities right now. Those that have been told they have some incurable disease, and every day they're dealing with the physical pain, the suffering, the altered lifestyles. The, the concern of the unknown, of the time schedule. Lord, financial decisions that have been made and living with the consequences of that or, or maybe things that have happened just outside of their own control. Lord, whatever these things are, Lord, may we look beyond the surface and may we welcome the shaping influence of you in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.